Hey, community of faith, how are you doing today? I know it's probably been another one of those uh, pretty difficult weeks, but I wanted to tell you, Laura and I are so proud of you and what you've been doing. I believe that God wants us to come out of this quarantine time, this crazy time, even stronger in our spiritual lives, in our marriages than we went in. I am proud of your giving. You've been doing so well on that. Just keep that up. We're changing the world still. We're not going to stop just because there's a, a virus going around. Um, also, I want you to be involved in those uh, digital community groups you see right there at the bottom of the screen going across. Um, they're kind of the Zoom groups, but it's a chance for you to get to know some people really well. And maybe you've been waiting to get into a small group. This is your time. I mean, it's digital. So don't have to worry about anything, but I want you to get involved because we are better together. If we're going to make it, we're going to make it together. So sign up for that. I know a lot of you already have. We've seen hundreds of you sign up. You sign up if you haven't done that yet. I'm really excited about our message today as we continue in this series, sticking together when you're stuck together. And uh, we wanted to talk to you a little bit about a really basic principle, but it's a life-changing principle that, that I want you to see today. I heard this week about a, a man who was trying to get uh, his washing machine through his door and his front door and his neighbors walking by. And, you know, even with the social distancing, he, he, the neighbors going like, um, well, let me help you. I'll get on the other side and we'll see what we can do. And the guy said, oh, thank you so much. I didn't think I was going to get this through the door. So the neighbor got on one side. The man's on the other side, and I mean, five minutes, six minutes, seven minutes, the thing didn't budge. Finally, they both sat down, they're sweating, they're exhausted, neighbors on one side, man on the other, and the neighbor said out loud, he goes, he goes, I don't think, I mean, this thing must be heavier than I, than I thought. I don't think we're ever going to get this thing into your house. And the guy said, into my house? I'm trying to get it out of my house. So... What you see is they were working at cross purposes. You know, there's something about our lives that that little story can kind of speak to. Some of us, our lives are really hard. And I wonder if your life is so difficult right now. I mean, I know life is going to be difficult. Jesus said we're going to have tribulations. But I wonder if it's more difficult than it needs to be because we tend to work sometimes at cross purposes with God. When we get in on his purpose for life, then it's like the universe kind of lines up. We feel that. That doesn't mean we're not going to have obstacles in our way, but it's a whole different feel. Maybe your relationship, you're, you're doing the same thing. Maybe you're working it. You didn't even realize, but you're working at cross purposes with God. Maybe in your marriage. You know, marriage is so much easier. I didn't say easy. So much easier when we're working with God and not at cross purposes. God's pulling one way and we're pulling the other way, not realizing what his purpose is, what he's trying to do in our marriage. And so for these next two weeks, Laura and I are going to really focus down on how God works and what he's trying to do in your marriage, because uh, I think it might surprise you. It might really surprise you. The verses uh, that we have this week, um, are these. In Philippians chapter 2, the apostle Paul 
tells us a huge secret of the Christian life. And he tells us how to work with God in our salvation. And salvation is every part of our lives. It works its way all the way through our lives in every area. So it also applies even to marriage, to relationships. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 2, 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. These verses, I mean, they're mind boggling, really. In your life and in your salvation, God has a part and you have a part. God's part is to work in, to work in you, to work in your salvation. Your part is to work it out. We'll look at God's part in a moment, but let's, let's focus down for a minute on your part. What does it mean to work out your salvation? Notice it doesn't say work for your salvation. There's a big difference there. You can't work for your salvation. Some people come to me sometimes and they said, well, I'm just trying my best. I'm trying to do my best. I'm trying to help my fellow man. I'm just hoping my good outweighs my bad. That, that God, that's not how salvation works at all. You can't work for your salvation. You can't work real hard and be saved. The Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, the Bible teaches the opposite of that. Let me read you these verses in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It is by God's grace that you're saved through faith. And even the faith is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works so that no one can boast. You can't work for your salvation. It's a free gift that God has given us through Jesus and what he did on the cross for us. But the thing is, it's not just salvation. It, it applies to every area of our life. There's a God part and an us part, all right? So take marriage, for example. The Bible never says, make your marriage work. Mark, you make your marriage work. You can't make your marriage work. Some of you are going to tell me about it, right? That isn't your job. That's God's job to make your marriage work. You can't fix, save, improve your spouse, no matter, no matter what you try to do, or your kid, actually, for, for that matter. That's God's job. I uh, talk to women sometimes as as we're getting ready to do the wedding and the bride is all about the wedding, right? Grooms, not so much, but the bride always is. And, and in fact, some of you ladies, every once in a while, I, I'm kind of wondering, are you more about the wedding than even about this guy you're marrying? You know, because I, I'm not always sure, you know, why you picked that guy. But um, I always kind of get this idea. I can kind of feel it sometimes. What ladies like in, in a wedding is you walk down the aisle and you stand in front of the altar and, and you're married. And then a lot of times at the end, you'll sing a hymn or something. And I think that's what's going through the mind of the ladies. I'll alter him. She's looking at her spouse to be and going, I'm going to alter him. I'll alter him. I will change this guy. It's going to be okay. I know he looks like a total jerk right now, but I'll alter him. I'll fix him. I'll change him. <laughs> that's not your job. That's God's job. You can't fix your mate. We're, we're going to look in a moment at the specifics of your job. So 
we can understand it better. But let's first examine and look at God's part because this is, this is amazing when you really begin to understand it. So the Bible says that we're to work out what God works in. Like Mark said, God put some things into our lives when we came into relationship with Him, and we're to work those things out. I don't know about you, but sometimes for me, it's a little hard to wrap my mind around some of these biblical concepts. And I wanna give you just a, a picture of, of what that could be. Think about a puzzle. Maybe you've been quarantined and you've been working all kinds of puzzles every day. I've seen all those posts on Instagram. But think about that puzzle. You didn't create the puzzle, right? You had the puzzle already, it was already created, and you just put the pieces together, and then at the end, you're able to say, look at this beautiful picture. The puzzle was already created, it was already there, you worked it out. Or maybe think about the gym, if you go to the gym to work out, and I know for some of you, that's a, a really bad point of contention during this <laughs> quarantine. But if you go to the gym, you don't create your muscles, right? Do you go there and create them, or do you go there and work them out and make them stronger? God created your muscle. He gave that to you, and you work it out. I know you may be thinking, well, I don't even have any muscle. I know when the very first time I ever went to a gym to exercise, which was years and years ago, and probably years and years since I was there the last time, <laughs> but the first time I went, I remember thinking, I don't even have any muscles. But after I worked out, my muscles told me they were there. <laughs> they were very sore. So you may have, you have muscle. God created it. He gave it to you. He worked it in you. And then your responsibility is to work it out. You build it stronger. You, you make it so that it can persevere. That's what you do when you go to the gym. That's kind of the picture of what God is talking about in this verse. We work out what God has already worked in. Listen to verse 13 again. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. I want us to break that verse down today and, and take a look at it. If you look at that very first phrase, it says, for it is God who works. That word works in Greek is energejo. That's where we get our word energy from. He's saying he's the power source. He's the one who does the work. He's gonna, we don't have to rely on our willpower. We don't have to rely on ourselves. He says, I'm the power source for you. The next phrase says, in you. You know, we often think about God being with us and he is with us, but this verse says he is actually in us. He's the power source and he's in us. Whatever's going on in your life, whatever's going on in your relationship, whatever's going on in your home right now during quarantine, God says, I am in you in the midst of it. That next phrase says to will. The Greek for that is stelo and it means the want to, the desire, the wish to. God says, I will give you the want to. I know some of you in your relationships are thinking, I don't even want to anymore. I don't care anymore. That's exactly what this verse is speaking to. God says, I will give you the want to. I will give you the desire. That's huge for us and huge in our relationships. For it is God who works in you to will and to act. That word for act there is the same word again for energy. It's energejo. He's saying, I am the power source and I will empower you. I will give you the will to act. I mean, really that's everything, right? He gives us, he's the power source. He gives us the desire. He gives us the empowerment to act. But for what purpose? Why do we want to act? 
It says in order to fulfill his good purpose. That's why he's doing it. He has a purpose for us. The Greek for that word is eudokia. And it means his longing, his desire, his design, his purpose for your life. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. That plan is that you fulfill his purpose. And he has a plan for your marriage. And that plan is that together as a couple, you fulfill his good purpose. Next week, Mark and I are going to share more about that subject, about God's purpose. And the Bible says that it's a a mystery, that it's a great mystery, that it's a profound mystery. I mean, why marriage at all? Why did God design that? Why did he plan that? We're going to look at that. And I think the truths that we see next week will really change your relationship. A lot of us believe in God, but do we really believe God I mean, do you really believe his word? Do you take it, take a look at it, study it, and believe him? Do you believe it enough to put it into practice in your life? That's my question for you today and my question for your marriage. Do you believe God? I know some of you are thinking, I just can't do this. I don't even want to do this. The truth is none of us can. But God says he'll give you the want to. He'll give you the power inside you to accomplish his good purpose in your life and in your marriage. Do you believe him? It's a hard question, I know, but I think it's a question that we all need to wrestle with and we all need to answer. Do we believe God? I think that's really where the rubber meets the road in our life, uh, and especially when it comes to relationships. My amazing dad who passed away a few weeks ago, He said something that impacted me. I was a teenager when he first said it to me, but I'll never forget it. He said, what we believe, we practice. Everything else is just religious talk. What we believe, we do. Everything else, we're just talking. And I think it's so important to realize that when Laura says, do you believe, it's are you doing what God asks you to do, what he says to do. And like she said, I don't feel like it. I, I mean, look at this guy over here. He's a mess. Look at this lady of mine. She, I mean, she's, I mean, she's a mess. I, I just don't, I mean, if you don't understand my situation, Mark, the, it, I mean, it's impossible. It's not like I haven't tried before. I, I just don't see how I can turn that around. I want you to see a key that this verse is saying. What, what this verse is saying What God demands, he supplies. What God asks for, he gives. God gives us everything that we need in every situation so that we can do his will. That's the great secret of the Christian life. It's not something that you're trying to work out. Let me give you an example. Salvation, that's what Paul is talking specifically about here. In salvation, God wanted relationship with us. But he knew that wasn't within us to gain that relationship because we would have to be without sin. We would have to be so holy. Otherwise, when we stand in the presence of a holy God, we would just be disintegrated to dust because he can't even have sin in his presence. And so what did he do? He already worked it out. In fact, in his mind, because he's outside of time, he did it before the foundation of the world. The Bible says before the foundation of the world, Christ died for us. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. Christ, as he died on the cross for us, he opened 
a door. As we step into that gift that he gave us on the cross, Jesus, I'm trusting you. I want you to be in charge of my life. I accept what you did for me. Everything changes. I don't understand all about it, but somehow in God giving that to us, he opened that door so that we could have relationship with him forever. And it takes our sin away in his eyes. And so what happens is we can have relationship. He already provided it. He provided his son, Jesus. He said, I want relationship with you. Now here, I'm providing everything. You just step into it. You just do it. You just receive it from me. And that's exactly what he's talking about. His job in your marriage, for example, is to provide the want to, to provide the power to, to do what? My job is obey. You see in that little verse, it says, as you've always obeyed, continue to work out your salvation. That's the one thing he asks, obey. Do what God asks you to do. Do what God says to do. What we believe, we practice. Everything else, we're just talking about it. I want you to believe God in your marriage, trusting that the want to, the will to, will come as you step into believing and obeying. That's how you know you believe. You obey. I begin to do what God asked me to do. So to cooperate with God, we must do our part. But we could never do our part unless God did his part. So it all comes together at the same time. His part involves giving us both the desire and whatever else we need as power goes to fulfill his purpose for us. Whether salvation, whether in marriage, in relationship, in whatever area. So every day I want you to make up your mind that you're going to obey, that you're going to do God's will, knowing that we already have whatever we need to do his will that day. And if we need anything else along the way, he's going to give it to us. Now, I can almost hear some of you there at home scratching your heads and, and, and saying, uh, Mark, I, I mean, this is like a new concept to me. I still don't totally understand because, I mean, you need to realize my marriage it, it is in the toilet. I, I have totally lost that love and feeling. Talk about the song. I mean, I've been singing that for a while. I don't feel like doing anything that you guys are talking about right now. In fact, I'm kind of here with my arms crossed. I, I, in fact, I can't even see how these things are going to work. I mean, this guy I'm living with, he's dense. This is impossible. It's not going to change. I already know that. I've seen that. It's, not, it's impossible. You know, Jesus loved to do impossible things when he was on this planet. On one occasion... As Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, he encountered a man with a withered hand, the Bible says. And um, apparently this, this guy, maybe from birth or, or whenever, had, had nerve damage and his hand was all shriveled up. And, and Jesus sees him and Jesus loves him and Jesus has compassion on him. And this guy, you know, hadn't been able to use, let's just say it's his right hand. He hadn't been able to use his right hand all of his life. It's withered. It's, in fact, it, it's just not, I mean, it's not much left there, really. And it made it impossible to move his hand or to feel anything in his hand. And Jesus spoke to the man. He just looked at him and he said 
this, which we don't think much about, but must have been crazy back in that day. He just looked at the man with the withered hand and he said, stretch forth your hand. Reach out your hand. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute because we just kind of, you know, think the Bible's like all these superheroes or something. What would you, if you were that guy, your hand's all shriveled up and Jesus says, stretch out your hand. I mean, Jesus, are you making fun of me right now? I mean, you know I can't do that. That's impossible. What are you talking about? Jesus, what do you mean? I mean, that's, are you a crazy person? Jesus said, stretch out your hand. Now, here's the thing. The guy looked in the eyes of Jesus and he saw something there, I guess. Because what he did is he made the attempt. He didn't feel any tingling in his hand. He didn't feel any different. Everything felt exactly the same. It had been impossible every day of his life to stretch out his hand. But Jesus said, stretch out your hand. And he looked at him. And so the guy attempted it. And there's withered hand as he attempted to stretch it out, as he stepped into what Jesus said, it stretched out. It became whole, healed, new. It was impossible. But see, Jesus knew if he asked you to do something, he's going to provide whatever is necessary for that to happen, for you to be able to do it. Your part is to stretch out your hand. So in his mind, he activated those same nerves that stretched out his left hand to stretch out his right hand. And, and, and his mind thought of it and he did it because God had asked him to. Now, a lot of times we look at the, ish, the things that we're in and, and the, it, the circumstances in our marriage and stuff and said, you know, there's, it's impossible. We can't we can't do this. These problems are greater than our potential. Our mate is a mess. But those constraints, whether it's time or energy or money or, or that guy or that girl that you're married to or it's material resources, they're, they're allowed in our lives by God. Again and again, he puts us in positions where we're unable to do anything without his help. So what do we do? Take the next small right step of obedience. That's what we do. Do the next right thing he's told you to do. Stretch out your hand. And what happens? He helps us. His power comes. It's a God thing. It's a miracle. It's impossible. So, Laura, ask the question. I'll ask it again. Do you believe God? I, Mark, I believe God, but you don't know my church. No. Do you believe God? If you believe, you practice, you obey Laura and I, we believe in starting like with the basics, especially when it comes to relationships. And it kind of brings us back to the basics of life to really do relationships right. Remember, I told you each week we're going to focus down on one specific area, one specific um, thing that we want you to really look at and see and practice and do. Last week, you remember what it was? You remember? Spiritual breathing. You remember that? Spiritual breathing. Remember I said what you do to live this Christian life if you're a believer and you've stepped into this relationship with Jesus is as you sin, if you yell at your kids or, you know, cuss them out or, or cuss out the dog and you're mad, whatever it is, lustful thought, anything that's going on, you just agree with God that that's sin. That's what the word confess. Confess your sins and he will forgive your sins, the Bible says. That word confess in that 
in the Greek language means agree with. God, I agree with you. That was sin. That's breathing out. That's getting the carbon dioxide out, okay? And then remember what I said? I said, then say, Holy Spirit, you live in me already, but I want you to fill me completely. I want you to just be in charge. I want you to fill me completely. Remember the verse? Let me just read it to you because I didn't read it to you last week. I just spoke it to you, but it says this. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, literally reckless waste. But be filled with the Spirit. Be being filled is what it means with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to the Father for every person he brings into your life in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Spiritual breathing. Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, I think it's interesting that Paul compares being filled with the Spirit to being drunk with wine. I know that during this uh, you know, time of, of quarantine together, the statistics are showing that we're, a lot of us, we're way over drinking. And when we do that, uh, we end up saying things, we end up doing things. Uh, that's where abuse and other things come out. And, and so I want to encourage you, realize that. Don't be doing the over drinking. Be filled with the Spirit. What? We try to do, why are we doing the drinking? Because we're trying to equalize the pressure. The pressure on the outside is crushing us. And you know what happens when we get under that intense pressure and it's, it's crushing us, then whatever's inside of us comes out. That's what the Bible says. Whatever's in the heart is going to come out. You know, some of you, I, I've talked to some people during the quarantine and they said, I've been so angry. It's just not like me to be so angry. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, it's exactly like you. Because when you're crushed, when you're squeezed, when the pressure is on, what's inside comes out, whatever it is. And maybe you were able to hide it even from yourself when there wasn't that much pressure. But the pressure is definitely on now. And it's, it's been on for too long. You can't hold it. Here's the thing. Whatever's inside of you explodes out but when you equalize the pressure you say holy spirit fill me on the inside then he gives this pushback to all that's going on around and when the pressure comes you hold and even if you're squeezed look what comes out galatians 5:22 when you're filled with the spirit look what explodes out the the things the spirit produces the fruit of the spirit love joy peace patience kindness goodness Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Wow. I mean, you're squeezed and, and patience comes out. You're squeezed and kindness comes out. That's how you know if you're filled with the Spirit. Did you practice spiritual breathing this week? Did, did you put it into play or, oh, you know, I kind of just, I heard it. I know, that's what we have to be careful of, remember, because what we believe, we do. Everything else, just talk. Here's what I love about you, Community of Faith. You're not just talkers. You're doers. You're doers of the word, not just hearers. And the Bible says you're blessed when you, when you do that. So keep doing that filled with the Spirit this week. But we're going to look at the one thing for this week. Are you ready? So we do want you to continue to equalize the pressure and, and be practicing spiritual breathing every day. But as you do that, this week, we also want you to choose to control your tongue. 
I think this will have a huge impact on all of our relationships if we choose to control the things that come out of our mouth. And I know, I can imagine your faces even right now, you're thinking, that's too hard. That's too hard. But remember what our verse says. He will give you the desire and he'll give you the power. You can control what comes out of your mouth. Listen to what Proverbs 18:21 says. Words kill. Words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. Did you know you have a choice? Did you know you can choose what comes out of your mouth? I know so often I feel like it just jumped right out of there. But the Bible says I have a choice. God gives us the desire and the power. And here it says he's also given me the choice. I choose what I'm going to say. I choose the words that I'm going to speak. Listen to what can happen. James 3 verses 5 and 6 says this. So also the tongue is a small thing, but what enormous damage it can do. A great forest can be set on fire by one tiny spark, and the tongue is a flame of fire. It's full of wickedness and poisons every part of the body, and the tongue is set on fire by hell itself and can turn our whole lives into blazing flame of destruction and disaster. And I'm pretty sure some of you have seen that verse played out in your relationships. And even now, some of us are seeing our relationships being destroyed by one word at a time, one misspoken word, one ugly word at a time, but we don't have to. It's our choice. It's your choice. It's my choice. Listen to what Ephesians 4.29 says. Don't let even one rotten word seep out of your mouths. Instead, offer only fresh words that build others up when they need it most. That way, your good words will communicate grace to those who hear them. Do you hear that very little word in the beginning? It says, let. Let these words come out of your mouth. That implies that we have control. I mean, if I can let it, I cannot let it. So the Bible says you have control. Ephesians 4:31 goes on to say, Lay aside bitter words, temper tantrums, revenge, profanity, and insults, but instead be kind and affectionate toward one another. It's talking about our words. It says lay aside there. That's a command. It says you make the choice. It's an action you take. Many of us, I think, need to, to just kind of stop and take a breath and slow down and then make a conscious decision of the words we're going to use. Consciously choose to use different words, words of life, encouraging words, refreshing words. Think about your closest relationships. How do you talk to those people? How do you talk to your spouse? How do you talk to your children? I mean, if every word is a negative word, every conversation you have ends negatively, every sentence is negative, and that's a super easy habit to fall into. I want you to know that you're speaking words of death to your spouse, words of death to your marriage, to your children. So you have to choose something different. Maybe you're doing okay in that regard, but listen to Philippians 2.14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that no one can speak a word of blame against you. Uh Uh-oh. That word grumbling, it's, it's that low-toned muttering that we, we do against God and others that so often, you know, it just takes place kind of in this emotional, guttural level. And it seems like we all fall into that. Our whole culture is in to grumbling. There's no doubt about it. But the Greek word for grumbling there is a word that, I don't know, I've always liked because it sounds like you're moaning and complaining. Gongusmon is grumbling. Gone goose moan. I mean, maybe just 
look at your spouse and say, you've been really gongus moaning a lot. No, you don't do that. Okay, think about yourself. Max Cato tells uh, of a man who, who, who was dealing with that. He came home. He told his wife, I'll be home at five. I'm going to try to get home earlier. Uh, he'd been going up to the office and he got home and it was 6.30 and just like his late, like he always was. And his wife, man, he walked in the door. She started letting him have it from the moment he got inside the door. I mean, he, he was, and he was trying to placate her, but nothing worked. And I mean, for a solid hour, she just let him have it. And finally he goes, honey, honey, let me just go back outside. I'll open the door again and let's just start over. Let's act like we didn't even do this. Let's just start over. She said, all right, let's do that. So he went outside the door. He opened it back up and said, honey, I'm home. And she said, it's 7.30 and you're just getting home? Started all over again. Yeah, that's what we do, isn't it? We like to grumble. I, I wish Paul had been a lot more realistic and down to earth. I mean, he could have said, you know, try to do some things without grumbling. I, I might could have done that, but, but look what he, I mean, he says, everything, do everything. I, I, I mean, that doesn't seem possible. I mean, the only way it honestly will be possible is if you're practicing spiritual breathing, if mm. you're filled with God's spirit every day. You know, when we're complaining, it's really just an attack on the character of God, an attack on his sovereignty. It's saying, God, I don't trust you. You're not good. The things you do aren't good. You can't be trusted. If I were God, I wouldn't have done this. I would have done it a different way. That's what we're saying when we complain. And naturally, we're complainers, like Mark said. We come by it naturally, but the Bible gives us a sure cure. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything, give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So instead of in everything complaining, it says in everything, give thanks. Have you ever wondered what God's will is for your life? Well, there it is. It's that simple. He says, give thanks. And as you do that, then he begins to show you the next step along the way. But you have to begin with thanksgiving. We have to replace complaining with gratitude. And notice that that verse didn't say, for everything to give thanks. It says in everything, give thanks. I mean, I'm not thankful for war or thankful for the coronavirus or thankful for people losing their jobs or businesses dying or for abuse or evil in the world. I mean, that would be a perversion really of what the Bible says. We don't have to be thankful for everything, but God tells us to be thankful in everything, in spite of my circumstances, in spite of what's going on. I can recognize that God is here, that he's a part of it, that he meets me in the mess, in the middle of it. Whatever's going on in your life right now, in your home, God is in it with you. He's going to walk with you through it. He says you can be grateful in every circumstance of life. And I want to caution you. I know some of you that are listening today, maybe you're uh, the victim of abuse or you're experiencing some sort of domestic violence in your home. I'm not saying that you need to stick around and be no, grateful for that. That's not God's plan for you. You can be grateful that he's going to give you a way out, that he's going to give you wisdom to make a change in your life. And then I want you to call our counseling center this week yeah. and get some help because that's not God's plan for you. But when we focus on the Lord and his goodness, when we look at everything in the light of eternity, when we remember that God brings beauty from ashes, we can be grateful. That's what he's asking for us. So replace complaining with, 
gratitude and everything give thanks. We can begin to say, thank you, Lord, that you're using our time together to make us a stronger family. Thank you that you're using my spouse to teach me about how much you love me. Thank you that you're using my children to help me understand your father's heart toward me. And when we begin to give thanks in every circumstance, pretty soon we find that we're also grateful for things. Grateful for my spouse, grateful for my kids, grateful for time together, grateful for even the struggles. Gratitude will transform our relationships. A a few years back, I was counseling a a guy and his wife and he had a really bad anger problem. And um, he was so close to even like domestic violence with with his wife, but what he had done, he would yell and scream at his wife and at the kids and, and, he kicked the dog one time and this brought them to counseling because he had actually hurt the dog a little bit by kicking it. He was so angry. And I'm talking to him and, and he says, look, you know, I'm Irish. I come from an Irish background and, and, and that's just natural to us. We have this fiery anger. I just can't help it. It's not like I'm trying to do it. I just can't help it. And I remember looking at him and I said, wow, how many jobs have you had? And he said, what? Because I knew he was really successful in his work. I said, how many jobs have you had? And he goes, what are you talking about? I said, well, when you yell at your boss like that, when you yell at all the coworkers like that, it's got, he goes, I would never do that. And he stopped and he realized, I have a choice in here somewhere. There's a choice that I'm making, that this is safe to do this at home or something. And I taught him the principle of spiritual breathing. It seems so easy, it seems so basic, but being filled with the Spirit. Did you see what comes out? Long-suffering, it says. Patience. Another version puts it. And, and so when he was filled with the Spirit, something different came out. He changed. I mean, that man was never the same again. And then this second thing, here's the second thing. Are you ready? I taught him how to practice gratitude. And that's what I want you to do. Laura and I, in fact, have developed a new habit that we started, what, three or four months ago now? Um, Every night, because we had kind of caught ourselves, started to get caught up in negativity. But every night as we lay our heads down on the pillow beside each other, she'll come over and kind of snuggle me because our bed is like this giant king-size bed. So she's over there somewhere in the middle of the night. But she'd come over and snuggle, and, and I would ask her, or she would ask me if I didn't, what were you grateful for today? What were you grateful for today? And we would kind of go through our day and talk about what we're grateful for. And you know what? It changes your perspective. You know, a a lot of us are real good at picking out the issues that are wrong. In our spouse, for example, we can say, if only she would change this and this and this and this. But we totally miss what they're doing right. I want you to practice that little habit if you're married. If not, you can just focus it on looking for good things. And I want you to say, what are you grateful for? As you lay your head down on the pillow at night. And then a second part of this one thing, gratitude, is I want you to come up with five, just five, not 10, not 20, five encouraging things that you can say to your spouse each day this week. First, you be filled with the Spirit. He's going to help you. He's going to give you the want to, the will to, okay? Five things encouraging, not discouraging, not cynical. And 
let, let me just let you know that encouraging is not like teaching. Some of us have this relationship with our spouse, like I'm going to teach you how to have a good life. I'm going to teach you what you should. No, that's, that's not what encouraging is. See, most of the world is discouraging, taking courage away, discouraging. That's what it literally means in English, to take courage away. I want you to encourage, to put courage into. And I think you might want to do it with your kids too. Start with your spouse, but you know, or it, are you having those negative times? Is it all negative with your kids? Start thinking about, catch them doing something right. Encourage them. What can you say? Like Laura said, you could say stuff like, I love watching you be a father. Now don't get cynical and say something like, honey, you know what you're really good at? You're really good at driving me crazy. That's, that's not encouraging, okay? But I love watching you be a, a father. Maybe, maybe he's not been great at that, but for the last 15 minutes, he's been an amazing father. Catch him in those 15 minutes. I love watching what you've done these last few minutes with the kids. Five encouraging things. And then when you lay your head on the pillow at night, honey, what are you grateful for? What were you grateful for today? I want you to do it this week, okay? I want you to practice. It seems so small, Mark. I mean, you be filled with the Spirit. You start practicing gratitude. We're getting into to some things. These are, these are basics. As you do this, these little things, everything begins to move. And once it begins to move, what we're trying to do, we're trying to build momentum. And some of you, you know, you can't just go right to the heart of what's going on with you. You'd never build momentum that way. It's deep and it's difficult. We need a one-on-one -on -one for that. But this begins to move us just enough that the momentum starts and we feel the power of the Holy Spirit. We begin to feel the want to as we obey. That's what we're praying for you. In fact, let me pray for you, okay? Jesus, I just love that you love to do impossible things. And so we're here again saying, we don't, we don't have it in us to do this. We don't have it in us to, to, uh, to come into relationship with you. You did all of that and we've received it and we step into that and we believe what you did on the cross for us and we receive all of that and, and that you've come to live inside of us through your Holy Spirit. We don't understand that. Holy Spirit, thank you that you live in us and I want you to empower us as we walk filled with you, Spirit. I pray that all of those things, the love and the joy, the peace and the patience and the goodness and the kindness, the gentleness and all the self-control and just faithfulness, God, would just pour out of us this week when we're squeezed so hard by all of these circumstances. And God, I ask that you would enable us to begin to practice gratitude. You said it's your will for us. Holy Spirit, you gotta give us the, the power to even do it, to even see it. But we will step in to this. And we will do this this week, these small things. You know, it seems impossible for some of us where we are in our marriage. But you're looking at us and saying, just believe. What does it mean to believe? Do, right? Step into the next small right step. We will reach out our hand though it's withered to you. And we will see your miracle in our lives. Come kingdom of God upon us. Be done will of God over us. Let nothing stop what you wanna do. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Next week, a profound mystery. I mean, it's better than Dateline, 60 minutes, 48 hours all combined together. This profound mystery called marriage. Yeah, it's been a mystery, hasn't it? We're going to uncover that for you. God's got something amazing that he wants to say to us next week. I'm, I'm so excited about that message. So don't miss next week, but practice. Practice this week what we believe we put into play. Everything else is just religious talk. We love you, community of faith. Lauren, I love you, and we will see you next weekend.